Welcome back, everyone, to the Shred Takes podcast show brought to you by me, Mike Shredder. I hope you guys are enjoying the listen wherever you are. It's going to be on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. For all those who listen to the full episodes, it'll be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Clips will be up on YouTube. I hope you guys subscribe to this channel and, and the podcast, and I hope you guys get a lot out of it. So it's been a few weeks, and I'm, I'm excited to be back on and discuss some big topics within college basketball and the NBA. And there's a lot to talk about, and I have four big things I want to go over today on this Monday. This episode will be, will be dropping Monday night, so I'm excited to, to, just to have an opportunity to talk to you guys a little bit about just the big storylines. So the first thing I want to start off with is the obvious, right? Everyone's favorite team, the Brooklyn Nets. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think that's everyone's favorite team, but it seems to be within the national landscape. Everyone talks about them, the Lakers, every single day on every sports channel, it looks like, right? The favorites to win the, the East. Oh, it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, look at them. KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons. Oh, this team is going to be so dangerous. And at the beginning of the year, it was, oh, look at the big three and Harden, and Kyrie and Katie and, and look at the, these guys that they're, they're unstoppable. Then again, they didn't even play a full squad together. Kyrie's been out basically most of the year because he couldn't play in home games and he still can't, right? He only can play away games and Brooklyn's finally allowed it because they're desperate. Ben Simmons hasn't stepped onto the court and Kevin Durant has been injured for a big chunk of the season with the MCL sprain. So yes, am I, am I going to sit here today and answer the big question. Is Brooklyn in trouble? Should I hit you the panic button? Well, if you hit panic with any team right now in the season, the Lakers, I would say, yes, you should hit a little bit of the panic button because they are just not good at all. But Brooklyn's not a good team either. Let's be honest there. Brooklyn is not a good basketball team at this moment in time. They're, they're, very, they're dysfunctional offensively. They're not well coached. Kevin Durant basically seems like he has to do everything himself. And they're not winning games. They've lost four straight games. They have, they're one game below 500. Right now, if Atlanta were to win tonight, Atlanta would re- leapfrog them in the standings and Brooklyn would go to the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference and basically be a threat to not make the play-in. Who would have thought that in, the, in, in this point, right? Beginning the season with those, with those talented guys, you would have Harden who shipped off to Philadelphia. You would have Kyrie who ne- who's not going to be able to play home games. And then you also have the fact of, Kevin Durant going to be injured, right? Ben Simmons now gets traded, and he is not being able, being able to play. And now you have seamlessly the Brooklyn Nets, more likely, in my opinion, to lose in the first round than actually even get to the championship. And I don't think they're going to get to the championship. I think they're going to be a first-round exit. And look, if I'm wrong, that's fine. I, look, it's not because I don't believe in Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has proven time in, time out that he can win a playoff, playoff games by himself, and he can carry a team to make things interesting. The thing is, though, is the Eastern Conference is better this season, and that's just objectively true. You can say, well, the Chicago Bulls aren't proven, the Miami Heat are a fluke, and James Harden chokes in the playoffs. Fine. Those are fair things to bring up, right? But I can name to you a bunch of teams that I think objectively right now are better at this point in the season than the Brooklyn Nets. Right now, there's eight teams objectively better, right? You can look at the fact of you can look at the Miami Heat, right? Number one in Eastern Conference, 42 and 23 record. You know, one of the best defense in the NBA, a team that's extremely well coached, has great, has very good all-star, high-tier all-star level talent. And Bam and Abayo, Jimmy Butler. They also have Kyle Lowry. They also have Tyler Hero. 
Duncan Robinson, but they also have contributors like Max Strauss, Gabe Vincent, Dwayne Dedman. You know, guys who understand what it takes. And also, look, I understand he doesn't play anything, but Udonis Haslam's leadership ability also helps that team as well, right? They're a team that has been challenged, has made the finals two years ago, right? A team that lost to Milwaukee last year, so that they're coming out with a different mindset than they did in past years. You look at Philadelphia with an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid, right? Right now, I would say it's between him and Jokic right now, the way Jokic has been playing over in Denver. But you look at that mixed with the fact you got, which I'm going to talk about Philadelphia later, but you also got James Harden, right? And Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, right? Matisse Thybul, Danny Green, right? You, you have pieces that help contribute to a good team there. Milwaukee, right? Are we just going to forget about the defending champs right now? Are we going to forget about the defending champs? Right, you're also going to look at Chicago, right, with DeMar DeRozan playing at an MVP level with Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, right, and with, when Lonzo Ball comes back and Alex Caruso comes back, right? Chicago's a dangerous team. Boston, the hot, one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now, them and Dallas right now, and they just beat Brooklyn. Jason Tan put 54 up on Brooklyn. I'm going to talk about Boston in the next segment. And then you also look at teams like Cleveland, Right, Cleveland has the, right now one of the best defenses in the NBA. They have the best scoring defense in the NBA. They have good young talent, Nevin Mobley and Darius Garland and Jared Allen. They, they have guys who really can contribute. And then you also just look down the right. Charlotte's probably objectively a better team, right? You've you, you got teams across the board in the Eastern Conference that I would take before the Brooklyn Nets. And that is just a, a stated fact right now. It's a stated fact. Brooklyn is, has a negative one point differential. They, they don't play great defense. And again, their offense is, is up in the air a lot of times because you don't know who you're getting every night. There's a, a level of being consistent in the NBA and not just showing up and hoping that you can win games based on your talent. Kevin Durant, everyone understands how good Kevin Durant is. I understand how good Kevin Durant is. But the problem is how at the end of the day, is Brooklyn going to win with just one guy they can consistently count on? Toronto, for example, right? If Brooklyn were to play Toronto, right, in the play-in tournament, Kyrie would not be able to play in that game. He wouldn't be able to. I don't care if he's able to play road games, right? You're, you have to bank on the fact that you win one or, or two of those road games because when you play at home, you're not going to have him. And Ben Simmons, who knows, right? I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons, to be honest. And people forget the fact that Ben Simmons does not play basketball in, in about a year. So asking him to come back and be that defensive stopper that he was and, you know, be able to initiate pace is something that is not going to be just easily given to you and be magically thrown in and it's going to work perfectly. And also Ben Simmons is a liability in the playoffs, right? Can't make free throws. We'll see if he actually can now because, again, he's been off for a year. Last time we saw him, he couldn't make a free throw. He was afraid to shoot. And, again, if you want to play Ben Simmons well – in, in, in the right spot, you have to put him at, at that small ball center like the Warriors do with Draymond Green. But unfortunately, if Ben Simmons is playing the point guard position when he comes back, when, if he comes back, you know, Brooklyn's in a major hole still, right? They, I don't think, even though I like Ben Simmons to Brooklyn in terms of like, I think he fits well with those pieces, there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts with the Brooklyn Nets. And right now they're not playing very well as a team. And right now, in my opinion, they're, they're going to lose in the first round if they keep playing the way they're playing right now. This current team is not going to be getting by any of those top teams in the Eastern Conference. They're just not going to, and that's just the way it is. 
So now I want to shift on to some teams that have been playing well, who have been shocking, I think, the NBA world a little bit in the past month or so. And that's the Boston Celtics and the Dallas Mavericks. The Boston Celtics have been playing really seamlessly good basketball. They've been playing at a high, high level each and every night. And the one thing they've been doing really well is defending, right? Boston is one of the top teams in the NBA in defense. But the big thing that they've been doing really well recently is offensive continuity. Yes, Jason Tatum has had 37 and 54 in his last two games scoring-wise. But you also look at Marcus Smart playing great at the point guard role. You look at the additions of Daniel Tice and Derek White. You look at Al Horford, right? You look at the play of Robert Williams, right? He's averaging the most points of his career in Boston at this moment in time, while also blocking shots and doing better to stay out of foul trouble. You, you look at the fact that Ime Adoka has, has actually bought these guys into a culture. They're holding each other accountable. They're moving the ball, finally. Boston's a dangerous team because they do have a very talented young duo. And then if the other guys can step up and play their roles effectively, this team could be very dangerous because the Eastern Conference is pretty wide open at the moment, right? Obviously, we look at Milwaukee and Philly as the, the clear-cut favorites, and, we, and people think that Brooklyn has a chance, which I don't. But you look at – and but I think, to be honest, you have to look at Boston in that realm too. And I think it's because they, they have had playoff experience. I think the fact that they're playing incredible defense, and they're also having a high version and high level of offensive continuity, which is making a big difference late games. Jason Tatum's getting easier shots. He's feeling more free on offense. But it wasn't like he was just scored 54 and the rest of the guys didn't do anything. The entire starting five had double figures against Brooklyn the other, the other day. So if we look at that, that's a, big, that's a big plus, right? You can get 54 from your star player, but you also can get contributions. You got 21 from Jalen Brown. You got 10 from Robert Williams. You got about 10 or 12 from Marcus Smart and Al Horford and those other guys. So they, they, they have a team that, that contributes in big ways. And so that's the kind of the way I look at it, right? You have a team that's looking very dangerous, who's well-coached, who has a bought-in culture. That's important as, as we head in. Now, on the other side of the Western Conference, you got to look at the Dallas Mavericks. And be if you're a team that's in the Western Conference, you got to be a little fearful of the Dallas Mavericks. Why am I, should you be a little fearful of them? Well, it's pretty simple. Dallas has proven that they can play defense now. Jason Kidd has turned that team around defensively they've been a team that has not been very good defensively middle pack to below the pack in defensive efficiency the last couple of years they get rid of Porzingis who just did, seemingly just did not fit with Luka Doncic and you know maybe it's a better fit for Porzingis to be on Washington where he can be the star of a team that's not very good but you know put up good numbers that's fine and fair but you look at Dallas right Luka Doncic which I'll get to in a minute but it has been playing great but you look at the fact that Jason Kidd has held these guys accountable on the defensive end of the floor. And they've done a really good job of that. Right now, they're second in the NBA in points per game allowed defensively. They're top five in defensive efficiency, right? They are a team right now that if you play them in a seven-game series, they're not going to just let you score at will against them. They're not an easy team to score against, right? They allowed 104 of the Lakers the other day. Um, you know, even against the Kings when Fox had, uh, had 43 points to uh, Darren Fox – they still only allowed 113 points to them, right? So it's not like, you know, teams are scoring 130 on them with ease. Um, and, you know, that, that's huge, right? That's been a big Achilles heel for them. I think also the fact that Jason Kidd has held Luka Doncic to a higher standard than he, I think he was held under Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is a good coach. He's, a, he's a, you know, he, he's done a very good job in the NBA as a champion level head coach. But I think Jason Kidd was the, was the coach that Luka's kind of needed, a guy who's going to, 
tell him that he needs to get in better shape, that he needs to play defense, that he needs to be dominant every night and do everything to help his team win. And if you look at Luca's numbers in the, in the month of February into March before his left toe sprain, which hopefully he'll be able to play tonight against Utah, but you look at the fact of he's averaged 40 points a game in his past 11 games he's played. I'm going to repeat that again, 40 points a game. And it's seeming, you know, again, he's looking more explosive. He's doing whatever he wants, when he wants. And again, Luca is, from a talent standpoint, is one of the best players in the NBA. And Luca should be considering that MVP talk if he had a better start to the season. But he's playing up to his level because Jason Kidd held him accountable. Him, Mark Cuban, management said, we have to get this guy in better shape. He's not in championship level shape for us to be able to compete and win a championship and compete in the Western Conference. So what makes Dallas so dangerous? They have a bunch of young guys around Luca. They just got Spencer Dinwiddie, who had 30 the other night. They have guys like Jalen Brunson, who unfortunately got went down with an injury. But, you know, Berton's in the trade. They got guys around him, such as Dorian Finney-Smith and um, Tim Hardaway Jr. And good pieces that allow Luca to get space to do what he wants. And they also have lob threats at the rim as well. So that is so important um, going forward. And, and, the, and the one thing I, I want to make crystal clear to everyone is that th- th- this, is a, this is a team that has had a chance to really cement themselves throughout time, right? At this moment in time, I'm, I'm watching the game right now. They are currently leading the, the Utah Jazz, and Luka is playing. Right, you look at – I forgot to mention Dwight Powell. He's been a big piece. Look at Maxi Kleba, Reggie Bullock, right? They have pieces that really fit well and help out when needed, right? But I think the fact is if they were to play Utah in a seven-game series, I would take Dallas easily in that series. Um, that's just the way I look at it. So those things are really dangerous. I think that they both can be make real noise in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference respectfully, and I think that's the way I look at it. On my third segment, what I'm looking to talk about now is college basketball. Break down a little bit more about basically who are some dangerous teams, like what are my thoughts about just kind of, you know, what which conferences look the best so far. Um, this is going to be quick. I'm going to give more of a March Madness breakdown after the conference tournaments are set in stone. Um, but this is just a little bit of a breakdown right now. So some dangerous teams, you got to look at Colorado State with David Roddy with their fast pace of play. David Roddy is a matchup nightmare. He's 6'5", 250. He plays the power forward spot in, in the small ball center spot. He's a really efficient post player. Um, he's a guy that scores over one point per, points per possession when he gets the ball in the post. He shoots over 50% in the post. He's, he's just very physical, very talented. He can shoot the three, get to the basket. And Colorado State plays at a really fast pace, right? They, they, just, they, they look like a, as a projected sixth seed right now. They, they are a dangerous team. They could definitely knock off a top three seed in the NCAA tournament they've got there because of the way they play. And I think the fact that Roddy has a lot of matchup issues for certain teams if they had to play against them. You look at Iowa State, right? Iowa State you know, doesn't have a great record in the Big 12, but I would argue the Big 12 has been the best conference right now in the entire country. Um, they, they have nine quad one wins, Iowa State, which is one of the best in the country. That's why they're projected at a seven seed right now, even though they're seven and 10 or seven, 11 in conference right now is because people understand that they've had a lot of quality wins and the big 12 conference is really good, right? TCU, another team that's, that, that's had some really good quality wins, right? Beating Texas tech, 
beating Baylor, you know, beating really good teams in the Big 12. I mean, look, the Big 12 is nothing to joke at, right? Texas is very – Texas is a, is a grind-you-out physical team. Texas Tech's a good team, right? You look at Baylor, you look at Kansas. Um, you know, obviously, you look at, like, teams even like that lower end, the Oklahoma States of the world, right? So, so, you, so you have some talent there. You also look at the fact of, you know, another dangerous team is, is, is Rutgers possibly, right? Rutgers has so a lot of big wins in Big 12, play, big, big 10 play. And, you know, they could be a really dangerous team also because of the fact that they've had NCAA tournament experience because Ron Harper Jr. is definitely a matchup nightmare because of Cliff Amore's ability around the basket. And Paul O'Kahey and Geo Baker are guys who can both create for themselves and create for others in good ways to help them win. Um, I think you also have to look at the fact of UCLA, right? UCLA right now is, is a project, projected four seed. If you look at UCLA, you can't tell me that this team is not a team that you would you know, have to look at and say, this team could totally get back to the Final Four again. Yes, I know they've been up and down, but that's also because of COVID pauses. They haven't had their full roster, integrating back chemistry. Again, all that stuff has to be taken back into consideration when you're looking at UCLA. And I think they have the same team, right? They have the same sort of, cohesion now being developed. They just had a big win over, over USC recently. So I look at UCLA as a team that's going to be very dangerous once they enter the NCAA tournament if they are playing at the level they're playing right now. And the last team I look at is Memphis, right? Memphis has come on very strong recently after a really shaky start. And they just beat Houston, which was a huge win for them. They're projected to win the American Conference right now. But I, I think you have to look at the fact that they have a very talented group, and you put them in 11 seed, that team could beat anyone. They could because they've been battle-tested all year. So that's the way I kind of look at it. Also, you look at, I think some conferences that have been really disappointed this year. The ACC has been very disappointing. Outside of Duke, you know, you have Notre Dame, Miami, Wake Forest, and, and North Carolina. But Duke's the only one that's going to be um, a, a legitimate probably contender right there. Um, even Duke wins the ACC, ACC tournament. doesn't look that great. Um, you know, obviously the A-10, not, not a super competitive conference this year. Um, you know, it looks like Davidson's probably going to get in, uh, may, maybe Dayton and a few others, but um, it doesn't, doesn't look that, comp that, 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 that crazy good there. And I even look at even the Big East, to be honest. You know, I think the Big East has some, you know, really good teams in Providence and Villanova and UConn. I do think, like, Xavier and our teams have, have kind of underachieved Seton Hall. Um, you know, they can make a run, but I, I, I don't really see that. I think the Big East is a little more down this year than they have been in past years. Um, I think from a consistency standpoint, to be honest. Um, but that, that, look, this is overall, again, I'm going to give more of a breakdown once we get toward the end of the week and we know what conference tournaments are going to be like. And then I'm going to give, you know, kind of my formal, you know, breakdown of what teams look really legitimate then. To end the show, I'm going to be very quick and brief and explain why the Sixers and, and the doubts about the Sixers should be quelled at this point in time. So as you know, the Brooklyn Nets, you know, and Sixers swap players, basically the, the Nets got Seth Curry. They got Andre Drummond. They got, um, you know, some draft picks um, for James Harden uh, going to Sixers. Um, and James Harden has fit seamlessly with the Sixers right now. Sixers have not lost a game since he's been as he played as he's played in the lineup. I mean, they did lose to Miami there tonight, but he didn't play in that game. Um, he's averaging 26 and a half points and 12 assists since he's been there. Um, obviously, tonight he's, not, he's against the Bulls so far. He hasn't scored up to that level yet, but Embiid's fitting great with him in the two man game. 
They're winning games. He seems happy and motivated. Now, I don't like the fact that he just work, moves his, works his way out in, uh, of places when he's not happy. I, I hate that players do that nowadays. Um, now, I do understand that with the whole Kyrie drama mess that that's hard to understand and, um, and play with. Um, I, I get that um, angle of it. But I think ultimately when we, when we look at this for the Sixers, it's all going to come down to how James Harden plays in the playoffs. Because I know what I'm going to get from Embiid. Um, if Harden can play at this level in the playoffs, this team can win the NBA championship. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I, they, they look very good in terms of their chemistry, cohesion. Um, the, and you look at the fact that Tyrese Maxey's had a career year. Tobias Harris still gets you 18 a game. Matisse Thibault with his defense and hustle play. And you also got guys um, in terms of, of, you know, Shake Milton and Danny Green, who are experienced players. But they're, I mean, they're big, their only issue really is their depth in the bench, right? That is going to be their Achilles heel. They're really reliant on their, on their five starters to get the job done. Then again, though, they do have four guys in the starting lineup who are averaging 17 points or more. So they are going to be able to score, and they do defend at a high level too with MB, with Thibault. Tobias Harris defended a little bit. Maxie's disruptive. And Harden does get steals when he's motivated, right? Harden's not a great on-ball defender, but he's a good help defender when you need him to be, um, and he's motivated. So this is, this is on Doc Rivers. He's going to have to make this work. James Harden's going to have to play well in the playoffs. But right now, the Sixers look like, in my opinion right now, the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, obviously, look, it would have been nice to see Harden play against Miami. That would have given me a better insight to that right now. But I think, you know, the way they played, you know, you can say from a talent standpoint and the way they played, you know, they can win the East. Now, I'm not discounting Miami. I think Miami's got a great chance. I think Milwaukee's got a great chance. I think Boston's got a great chance. But it, the Sixers d- didn't really, like, you know, like, you know, miss anything with this trade. You know, people saying that Harden and MB weren't going to work or, or, you know, aren't really thinking about basketball in logical terms. So I, I think you look at this and you say, okay, look, the Sixers, in my opinion, are the best team in the East right at this point in time um, with Harden and Embiid. Now, the playoffs, we'll see then because Harden has a tendency to kind of shrink in those big moments in the playoffs. Um, his field goal percentage goes down. He still averages about, you know, 23, 24 points a game. But his field goal percentage and his efficiency and the turnovers go up. So we'll see what happens when the, once they get to that spot. Because right now they're number two in the Eastern Conference. But – you know, I like I, I like their chances against anyone with that with with those guys in the lap. So, you know, I'm excited to see how that goes. Well, I want to thank you guys again for tuning in to the Shred Takes Podcast Show, brought to you by me, Mike Shredder. This can be aired. This is going to be aired on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to us. If you enjoyed listening to the content, I encourage you to subscribe on all the platforms you listen to. And I will be producing another episode next week. And I hope you guys listen to that. Have a good one and. Enjoy your night.